This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Honey, what you crying at? You're not losing him to that. Both her hair and shoes are flat. Why is she so rude? Wipe your tears, it's no big thing. You were meant to wear his ring. Cheer up, chin up, it's time to bring a happy attitude. Keep it Never wise, not the way to win back guys. Anyway, she's twice my size. Who's got a plan B? Uh, me. Look at her, she's like a nun. Showing you are way more fun. Bust out the lap dance and you won. You off the hizzle, G. What? Keep it positive. Making me sick. Are we? Warner, let's take this back to my place. Nerds. It is Mal and Mike here. You're backstage and we are here for your countdown towards Christmas with only a few more episodes left of backstage for the year. Crikey, yeah, it's 
crept up on us, hasn't it? We've got kind of rushed up in many ways as well. Hey, we missed you last week, but we left you with a crack over an episode featuring Netflix's Tick, Tick, Boom, one of our favourites, actually, mm. doing that show. Yep. Ray Powell of Bold Theatre fame was with us and a whole lot of uh, goss on what's happening for Bold in 2022. So if you happen to miss that and you want to catch up on it, Backstage is available on all of your favourite podcast streaming apps. Today, I am indulging in, like, I suggested this to Mike earlier this week, and we couldn't, neither of us, again, could believe that we hadn't got to it. I'm indulging in a little bit of the familiar. Legally Blonde, the musical. Yeah. Even you know this one, Mike. I do. And, uh, yeah, we say this a lot, you know. I yeah. can't believe we haven't done this show. But honestly, I thought I really thought that we had covered this early. I wonder why we didn't. I think I, did, I think I stayed away from it because it was still relatively recent to me when we started the podcast. So could, I could be. have been staying yeah, well, away from it. It could be one we just knew that we would get to eventually. But I'm thrilled that you've chosen it because you have a, a direct connection to it, having directed it. And uh, you you know it so well. It's so, so fun. I'm really really just hanging out to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it's so fun. Uh, I was looking through my Spotify list. The Pink Heels came into view, and I couldn't believe that <laughs> Barry Manilow's Copacabana made it on the list of musical of the week. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take that because I'm, I brought Copacabana to the fore because it was Copacabana such an awful made show. it in weeks before Legally but Blonde did. I did that with a, a strategy to get some of the worst ones out of the way. Yeah, and I knew that would. Uh, we would be able to balance that against something good like Yeah, we didn't want to have our final seasons, just like all these shitty musicals. (laughs) Thanks for the memory, actually. (laughs) I forgot I'd done that. For those of you who don't know, Mel directed Legally Blonde for Music Makers, as it was, back in 2017. So it's a little bit of a favourite of hers, that's putting it mildly. (laughs) I, of course, know the movie, and the one and only Reese Witherspoon, who put Elle Woods onto the radar of the world, did such an amazing job in that movie. Uh, And And it wasn't a musical, but... It was the, no, the it movie that generated everything. And she she is the original Al Woods. You know, no one's quite as good as her. Exactly. And I think every time I've thought about the show or seen stage presentations of the show, she has kind of been the benchmark that people have looked for. People still bring her into their performances of the musical yeah, character. Yeah, interesting, that is. It? Yeah, it is interesting. Oh, you kind of can't not, I guess. Yeah. Because she's such a unique character. I suppose if you did a stage show of uh, The Godfather, you would want somebody to that's look, right. look and act like Marlon Brando to be Don Corleone, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. Mm. Uh, so I forgot how much I loved Legally Blonde, actually, uh, until I rewatched an MTV series called Searching for Al Woods. I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, oh, years ago now, and they broadcasted on MTV, and they were looking for the next Al Woods to play Al on Broadway to replace Laura Bell Bundy, who originated the role. Um, and so that was, I think rejuvenated or gave some life back into the show. It didn't get great reviews when it opened on Broadway. Um, I think the critics just didn't understand it personally. Mm. So I watched this uh, series and I thought, I love Legally Blonde. I forgot how much I love it. And now now it's Musical of the Week because it has to be. <laughs> um, anyway, before You'll we... tell us all about it. Yeah, before we talk about all of that, how is Assassins going? You know what? It, it was a uh, real... Um, relief to finally get it to the stage mm-hmm. last Friday. We opened to a really receptive audience, which was cool. Great reviews. A little um, preview audience on the Thursday night beforehand, kind of like a second dress rehearsal. But yep. opening night is always special in any show. But this one, uh, everything just clicked into place that we we trusted it would. Uh, and audience, our audience on Friday night and on Saturday night, both uh, really got caught up in the in the story they got caught up in the way that we were doing it the intent of the show and everything it just seemed to strike all the right chords 
It is turning into one of the great experiences of my life to be involved in a show like this. Oh, good. I mean, I've got a soft spot for what Bold does anyway, because mm. uh, it, it is my happy place, doing theatre that makes people go, ooh, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Why did I laugh at that? That's so good. Yeah. And Bold now has a history of that kind of theatre, and they will follow that up with that bloody woman next year and, and onwards and upwards from there. But Assassins is um, it's timely for a lot of reasons. It would have been good last year during election year in the, in the US. Yeah, it's just as relevant now, given everything that's happening socially and um, the sort of civic unrest that's happening through through the states at the moment. Mm. Trump's still in the background, all that sort of thing. So, from a political perspective and a social commentary perspective, it's still relevant and has a lot of impact. And as a an homage, if you like, to Stephen Sondheim, who passed away what a month ago. Yeah, um, that is also a terrific thing to have. And I think just the style of the piece and everything about it is right for the time. Good. And it shows you, you know, it's had great longevity and it, and it still stands up so well. Well, it's got a whole bunch of your favourite local performers in it, you know, between Mike and yeah. Benny Martimer and Patrick Ward and Memphis Ward and... Nick Wilkinson's even in it, Nick Wilkinson, Helen Drysdale Dunn, there's a whole yeah. bunch of awesome local performers in it. And, you know, as an ensemble piece, it works for all of us. We've we've all got our moment in the sun. Uh, I think our critical response so far has been amazing. Cool. You know, very humbling. The, re- the reviews also. have been good. Yeah. And thoughtful as well. Mm. You know, Richard Swenson uh, always thinks a lot about what he writes. Yeah. And um, understood all the nuances and everything. And uh, Ross McLeod, the same. I don't know about uh, best show since 2018, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty well, hefty call, Richard. There, there, there is some subjectivity in that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, by and large, I think uh, audience members that I've seen after the show have, yeah. have been very appreciative of the fact that they've come to see something that's made them really sit back in their seats and go, wow. Well, and there's something about going to see a cast that you know have worked really hard for a really long time finally get this thing yeah, on. Yeah, and it's it becomes a, an expression of um, just faith, I suppose, in a way that you're mm. going to do this and it will happen. And we, we finally heard the opening chords for the show on Friday night. It was just such a yes moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, And we're yeah. back on tonight. Tonight, tomorrow, Friday and Saturday and then we're done and dusted. And that's it. After and two years. Over. On to the next thing. Uh, well, I'll be there on final night with Kate. We're doing a little pre-Christmas date. Going to finish oh, cool. up with seeing Assassins on Saturday night. Oh, that will be wonderful. Uh, so we'll be there cheering you on. Cool. Um, I hope you like what you see. I'm sure I will. You'll be there. So that's enough for me. Uh, uh, my, my total fan base right here in the studio. With me. <laughs> no, there are definitely more of us. There's a little club. Uh, and then how long a break do you get before you jump into 12 Angry Men in Tauranga? Uh Well, I went to a rehearsal last night, actually. Oh, heck, you never stopped, mate. Yeah, no, well, I'm not performing Assassin, so I had a moment to, to do that. And that was to really just to keep my toe on the water. We did publicity shoots and stuff like that a week, 10 days ago. Photos look great. Thank you. And um, we are back into full rehearsals again on the 4th of January so I will be banging away at lines and getting those out of the way between uh, the end of assessments and the beginning of so it'll be January. you on Christmas that'll Day be, yeah me on Christmas Day full belly in your lines the script <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's on stage on the 21st of January which, which is really cool and we're doing our first read through for Geezers which I'm directing oh, for heck. March um, we're doing our first read through next Monday night for that we get and the I cast did... and the creative team together talk about the show how we're going to stage it get that read through out of the way so that everybody gets a sense of how it flows awesome and the cast can meet each other um, make new friends 
yeah. do all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. Yes, Very and we cool. saw the cast list for that, and that came out. It's got a few of the Riverley community regulars as well as a few, mm. a few names I don't know, That's which good. is very exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with uh, with that mix. Some experienced people, some with a bit less experience, but that's what you do it for. Totally. You know, to mix it up and get people sort of sharing their talents and sharing their special things that they do. So I'm excited. I've got nothing but good stuff to do for the next few months. You are a very <laughs> I want to I don't know what I want to say you're a very special man who just this guy never stops and I, I say that but I really mean it um, <laughs> and to give you the heads up the 2021 season of Backstage comes to a close on December the 29th which means we will not be around in January to remind you to get your tickets to see my connection so mm. go and do that right now uh, it also means we've only got a couple more episodes left of the year so let us know if there is a musical you're dying for us to check out before 2021 is over yeah give us a heads up on that although uh, what I might do since I'm in charge of programming at Free FM is I might oh. selectively go back through some of our past episodes and kind of play best ofs awesome idea through the month of January anyway till we get back up and running again because I'd hate for us to not be present on the airwaves oh no we've got to give them yeah. the goods <laughs> okay now Today we are talking plays throughout theatre history that have been banned because uh, we know you can handle a sneak peek at the naughty list, so to speak. So stay right there. We will be back soon to start that conversation. Now, when you choose a law career, the moment you embark, there is that joke you're bound to hear, a lawyer is a shark. Ignore that. It's simplistic and it's dumb. Only some of you will turn out sharks, just some. The rest are chum. Our topic is blood in the water Kids, it's time you faced Law school is a waste Oh yes, unless you acquire a taste for blood in the water Dark and red and raw You're nothing until the thrill of a kill becomes your only law Mr. Schultz, hypothetical question. Would you be willing to defend the following banker accused of fraud? A kind old grandma took her savings and she sent it. Off to your client, all she saved since she was born. Well, he promised to invest it, but he spent it. On prostitutes and heroin and porn. No, I would not want to take that case. Wrong! This one is a win unless you're lazy. Grandma's broke, she'll have some hack from legal aid. Put her on the stand and call her all in crazy. Your guy goes free and he can get you high and laid. Look for the blood in the water. Read your Thomas Hobbes. Only spineless snobs will quarrel with the morally dubious jobs. Yes, blood in the water. Your scruples are a flaw. Ms. Hoops, hypothetical question. Would you be the right lawyer for the following client? Say they offer you a bundle for defending. A famous hitman for the mafia elite. Seems he missed his chosen prey, killed a nun, and drove away, running over three cute puppies in the street. What, do you think I wouldn't defend him just because he's a typical man? <laughs> oh, you lesbians think you're so tough. Oh dear, I fear my comment has offended. Hard to argue, though, when you're too mad to speak. 
your employment will be very quickly ended when they see how your emotions make you weak. So what's my point? I run a billion-dollar law firm, and I hire four new interns every year. From this class, I will select four young sharks whom I respect, and those four will have a guaranteed career. Do you follow me? So I wanna see what. Exactly. Let's the games begin. Four of you will win. But just those four with the dorsal fin, yes, blood in the water. So fight and stress and claw. Yes, Ms. Woods, El Woods. Someone's had their morning coffee. Would you summarize the case of State of Indiana v. Hearn from your reading, please? Oh, I wanted to answer the puppy question. But I'm asking you about the assigned reading. Okay, who assigns a reading for the first day of class? <laughs> you have guts, Ms. Woods. Ms. Kensington, let us say you teach a class at Harvard Law School, a position that you're justly proud about. But a girl on whom you call hasn't read the case at all. Should you let it go? Or... No, I'd throw her out. All right then. You heard your classmate. You have just been killed. She cut your throat, so grab your coat. Yes, you've got guts, but now they're spilled. Your guts in the water. So would you please withdraw? And if you return, be ready to learn. Or is it unfair? Oh wait, I don't care. That's just how I rule. Backstage with Mel and Mike. That was Blood in the Water from Musical of the Week, Legally Blonde. One, I really love that song. Oh, me too. What mm. a joy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I really like the rhythm of it. Yeah. Uh, once again, we could not be doing this without the support of our friends, Free FM and Creative Waikato. Thank you again for all of your encouragement and your sponsorship this year. We so appreciate it. Right, to get stuck in, I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about band plays. And some of the most famous, challenged and band plays in history include the likes of Oedipus Rex, Oscar Wilde's Salome, George Bernard Shaw's Mrs. Warren's Profession and Shakespeare's King Lear, strangely. <laughs> You'd think that now, but at the time, yeah, he was uh, Shakespeare was on the edge. He was very trying for his time. He was challenging, as they say. We've been learning about band classics and discovering why they've been so controversial. One of the oldest documented cases of censorship of the theatre is the ban of Lysistrata, written by Aristophanes in 411 BC. It was deemed at the time unacceptably subversive by Greek authorities and was banned in the United States under the Comstock Law of 1873. That US ban was not lifted until the 1930s. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) 
It's an anti-war drama that touches on offensive themes such as the power of women. <laughs> Goodness me. In order to keep their men from fighting in the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta, Athenian heroine Lysistrata and a group of women from various city-states throughout Greece first agreed to withhold sex from their warring partners until peace is declared and then take over the Acropolis, halting access to much-needed money to fund the war. Aristophanes knew that his audience would find both these strategies ludicrous and treat his play with its slapstick and double entendres as an extravagant fantasy. For women to assert themselves in a public arena at that time was pure theatre of the absurd. So he was way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. But that's a very contemporary mindset, isn't it? What we would regard today as a contemporary mindset. It's no big deal right now. Well, you know, we're snapping our fingers going, yes, girl, Mm. back then. The uh, well, he was sort of thumbing his nose at society, really, and and yeah. the values that they had by posing a situation that he knew was going to be challenging for them and and make them go, what? Oh, you can't say that. Yeah, I don't believe he wrote that and not knowing. Yeah, had to. Then there's Oedipus Rex by Sophocles, written in 425 BC. Now, following Jocasta's suicide, Oedipus discovers that she, his beloved wife, and the mother of his four children was, in fact his own mother. He subsequently blinds himself so he may never see day again. And the brutal play explores the themes of murder, suicide and incest. It's the latter of these that caused it to be banned in the United Kingdom until 1912 as it was thought improper and inappropriate for the tastes of an English audience. And this is a confusing area actually because a lot of people assume that Oedipus actually desired his mother and that the relationship was generated from that. But it yeah. was actually, he discovered this after she died. Yeah, and it's it, he kind of punishes himself. Yeah, it's a self-punishment thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, even now, you would find probably incest to, to be quite uh, a taboo really, Yeah, a very topic. difficult subject to cover, whether it was accidental or through you know somebody having a weird take on sexuality. Yeah. But doesn't mean it shouldn't be covered, maybe somehow, by somebody. I'm Freedom sure of speech? But it would be difficult to watch for it, a lot of people. I actually, as I was writing this, sort of thought, man, I'd love to do that play. Not because I'd love to do it, but because... I really love the challenging content yeah. and like finding a way to make that palatable. Finding a way to make it work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's no great surprise that Oscar Wilde should appear in a discussion about band theatre. Mm. Uh, the play Salome focused on the eroticism found in a biblical story, which proved too much for the Lord Chamberlain at the time. You can imagine the tut-tut-tutting. <laughs> yeah. Though it was a story many people already knew, the way it was presented was what was considered blasphemous and was pulled from the stage in 1896 when it was set to be performed in London with Sarah Bernhardt in the lead role. That would have been cool. Yeah. It was decided the play would be premiered to a less conservative audience and it opened in Paris only three years later. I don't know how it did after that. I'd be interested it's, to well, know. Well, it's always been around and I think maybe... I'd never heard of it. Hadn't you? No. Because oh, you're so much younger than me. <laughs> only just. <laughs> only a little bit. But um, perhaps it was, you know, Parisians were seen as being a, a lot more experimental yeah, and, right. And more understanding or forgiving of, of um, a wider cross section of society than straight laced 
England. Well, and this is this before or after uh, the picture of Dorian Gray and the importance of being earnest and an ideal husband? You know, is it before or after that? So, are we? I, did we already think? Oh, Oscar Wilde, he's scandalous. I think was, he already did have that reputation, I, and uh, that's a very uh, pertinent question because I don't know where it comes in the chronology of his mm. plays. I should, but I don't. Interested to know. But I think Salome, uh, once it had been staged in Paris. Certain people in the more sort of avant-garde fringes of the theatre world started to think, well, maybe we, you know, you know, Paris, was that Paris, the, Paris did it. Maybe we could do was it. Was that the less conservative, conservative audience in yeah. Paris? Interesting, yeah. yeah. By today's standards, Henrik Ibsen's A Doll's House holds no great shock factor. In the late 1800s, however, the vision of a dutiful wife leaving her husband and children due to feeling belittled and turning her back on on the assumed submission was considered improper because it didn't comply with societal expectations of gender roles. Ibsen was ordered to write an alternative ending in which the family remained together. He wrote one as instructed, but later refused to have it performed, labelling it barbaric. Gosh, society's mm. pressures, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? How often it is that uh, gender and um, sexual values are the things that get people unstuck. The Children's Hour by Lillian Hellman sees the topic of lesbianism deemed sexually perverse, abandoned London, Boston and Chicago as recently as 1934. When two female teachers at an elite boarding school are accused of being romantically involved, a witch hunt is mounted and hysteria spreads, leading to parents withdrawing their children from the school. Uh, and I know, can tell you, and I won't because it's, it's interesting if you ever get the chance to see or read it, uh, but it does get pretty dark. From there. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Another Henrik Ibsen play, Ghosts, could be even more controversial than A Doll's House. It's a commentary on 19th century morality because of its subject matter, which includes religion, venereal disease, incest, uh, and euthanasia. It immediately generated strong controversy and obviously negative criticism. Ibsen's such an, uh, an interesting playwright. If you look back through his body of work, he's always pushing boundaries and always bringing up things that people really didn't want to acknowledge. Always a bit controversial, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Next up is Arthur Miller's The Crucible, and that's uh, one that a lot of people know was pretty controversial. It was written in 1953, banned in the 50s, because it is considered as criticism of the US government's actions during the McCarthy's time as president. At the time, the play was accused of being pro-communist and subverting traditional American values. But today, the crucible is still banned in some school districts in the United States for its association with communism and controversial subject matter, including adultery, violence, and the supernatural. It's funny. Covers the lot. Yeah, it's funny that they they tack on supernatural, you know, right to the end. Cause, I mean, it's about the witch trials, right? Right. It's about burning witches. Yeah. Like that's the key theme of the play, but somehow it's still about. Adultery and violence. (laughs) Uh, And last, but certainly not least, uh, A Streetcar Named Desire is a famous and controversial play by Tennessee Williams. Written in 1951, A Streetcar Named Desire features rape and the descent of a woman into insanity. Blanche Dubois relies on the kindness of strangers only to find herself taken away at the end. She's no longer a young girl. She has no hope. She represents some bit of the old self fading away. The magic is gone and all that's left is brutal, ugly reality. 
It's uh, fascinating to me that that was considered so controversial because it's such a powerful piece of theatre and made into an excellent film. Well, and probably so true still for so many people. Well, not still, yeah. but so true at the time for so many women. We tend to forget a little bit, I think, just how conservative a lot of the United States is, particularly the South, and mm. that's what The Streetcar Named Desire was targeting. The sexual content of Streetcar, which later became uh, popular and critically acclaimed film uh, starring Marlon Brando, it raised eyebrows and led to self censorship when the film was being made the director of the movie left a number of scenes on the cutting room floor to get an adequate rating to allow it to be screened and also to protect against complaints of the play's morality so the stage version is a lot more mm, gritty a lot more in your face dark and dirty yeah so basically people throughout history could have been considered prudish and uh (laughs) censored a lot for offence to either family values or English colonial sensibilities. Mm. And it's still potentially something that could trip us up for years to come. What's interesting though is that stuff has has not been obliterated. All of those plays that we've mentioned so far can and should be staged. Well it's funny that um, I mean maybe withstanding The Crucible which is about the witch trials but it's so funny that the things that are the most offensive seem to be the things that could most likely have happened. Yeah. You know, maybe, it, maybe it's a it's an effort to sort of bury the past. Yeah, yeah, skeletons in the closet or something. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, don't, yeah. we don't like that shut it away again. Oh no, we don't talk about divorce no, yeah. or lesbians. <laughs> it's like the family member that nobody wants to discuss because they <laughs> yeah. did, did something that they don't want to acknowledge anymore. Yeah. Speaking of not acknowledging, this leads us very nicely into this. shape he's in look at that slightly stubbly chin oh please he's gay totally gay i'm not about to celebrate every trait could indicate a totally straight expatriate this guy's not gay i say not gay that is the elephant in the room well it's irrelevant to assume that a man who wears perfume is automatically radically gay but look at his quaffed and crispy locks look at his silk translucent socks there's the eternal paradox look what we're seeing what are we seeing is he gay or you're a European. Gay or European, it's hard to guarantee. Is he gay or European? Well, hey, don't look at me. You see, they bring their boys up different in those charming foreign ports. They play peculiar sports in shiny shirts and tiny shorts. Gay or foreign fella, the answer could take weeks. They both say things like ciao bello while they kiss you on both cheeks. Oh, please, gay or European, so many shades of gray. Depending on the time of day, the French go either way. Is he gay or European? Or Sending smirk, seen it on every guy at work. That is a metro hetero jerk. That guy's not gay. I say no way. That is the elephant in the room. Well, is it relevant to presume that a hottie in that costume is automatically radically, ironically, chronically, certainly genetically, medically gay, officially gay, officially gay, 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 gay. Damn it, gay or European? So stylish and relaxed. Is he gay or European? I think his chest is waxed. But they bring their boys up different there. It's culturally diverse. It's not a fashion curse. If he wears a kilt or bears a purse. Gay or just exotic. I still can't crack the code. Yeah, his accent is hypnotic. But his 
his shoes are pointy-toed. Huh? Gay or European, so many shades of gray. But if he turns out straight, I'm free at age on Saturday. Is he gay or European? Gay or European? Gay or European? Wait a minute. Give me a chance to crack this guy. I have an idea I'd like to try. The floor is yours. So, Mr. Argitakos, this alleged affair with Ms. Wyndham has been going on for... Two years. And your first name again is... Nikos. And your boyfriend's name is... Carlos. <gasps> I, I, sorry, I misunderstand. You say boyfriend, I thought you say best friend. Carlos is my best friend. You bastard! You lying bastard! That's it! I no cover for you, no more! Peoples! I have a big announcement! This man is gay and European! And neither is his place! You gotta stop your being a completely closet case! It's me, not her, he's seeing, no matter what he say! I swear he never, ever, ever swing the other way! You are so gay, you big parfait, you flaming one man cabaret! I'm straight! You were not yesterday! So if I may, I'm proud to say, he's I'm gay! Hooray! You're backstage with Mel and Mike and we love seeing live theatre, so let's hit our calendars now for what's coming up around the place soonish. Get out your marker pen. Although there isn't much coming around the place up around the place soonish uh, as we lead towards the end of the year. But at the Meteor, Assassins is presented by Bold Theatre. That's on stage right now, closing December the 18th. And the very next day, the Jordan Luck Band are playing. That's Sunday, December the 19th. Riverley Theatre has Beauty of the Beast Junior, directed by Tony Garson, hitting the stage January the 18th. And Hamilton Musical Theatre are also in rehearsal for their re-rescheduled season of Mamma Mia, which is now going to hit the stage February the 4th. Navarra Lounge is back open following all the protocols for operating in Orange. Open mic tonight and the doors open from 6pm. If you'd like to perform, bookings are essential and you can contact Ivan through their Facebook page. Te Aroha Little Theatre in rehearsal now for the Vicar of Dibley going to stage in March and Death in Texas by April Phillips. They've rescheduled that. They haven't got dates for performance yet, but that will be getting back into rehearsal uh, as we speak pretty much. Matamata Dramatic Society are in rehearsal for At the Sign of the Crippled Harlequin by Norman Robbins. That's been postponed but is planning its 2022 reschedule as well. Into the Bay Plenty, Tauranga, 16th Avenue Theatre, 12 Angry Men by Reginald Rose, directed by Liam Hagen, uh, opens January 21st, running to the 29th. And Tauranga Musical Theatre has Peter Pan Jr., directed by Keegan White, January 14 to 21. And Les Miserables, directed by Tony Henderson, February the 4th to the 19th. Looking forward to that one. Uh, and like we mentioned before, go get your tickets to see Mike and 12 Angry Men. Please. Auckland Theatre Company, uh, ATC's 2022 season is kicking off with Grand Horizon by Bess Wall, directed by Jennifer Ward Leland Teatamera. That runs February 8th until March 5th. As always, if there is a show or audition opportunity you would like us to spread the word about, we're more than happy to do that. Just send us an email at backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or let us know when you see us around the place next, hanging out at a theatre somewhere. We'll be there. We'll both be at the Meteor on Saturday. the Wyndham Workout Disc 2 Challenge and our daily commitment to being the best that we can be. Yeah! So grab your cardio whip 5,000 because if you want to get ripped, you've got to get whipped. Do you want an easy miracle? Do you want to lose a pound or two? Then you can turn this off right now. My workout's not for you. I'm talking to the woman who wants it all. Gotta pay for what you get. 
have a lot to cover. Meet our brand new client, Brooke. You can laugh, but she's made tons. Offer DVDs and book. Whip your way to tighter buns. Happily married, so she swears to her 60-year-old stud. Till stepdaughter came downstairs and found Brooke all covered in his blood. If Brooke took a plea, I'd have her out in three to four. But she claims she did not kill him, did she? Let's watch some more. Workout, it's a defensive weapon too. Simply wrap it round your assailant's neck and pull till he turns blue. You can also use a patented handle grip to shatter your attacker's spine. And all for three small payments of $19.99. Know how him whipped into shape when you get grief from a guy. Just work him over with this till he starts to cry. If he don't act like he should, you got to whip it, whip it, whip it good. He gets you out of Whipped into shape. Come on, people. Whipped into shape. What does not kill us makes us hotter. Hands, who thinks she's guilty? Okay, now here is where you kids come in. Brooke has trouble trusting me. I'm her only chance to win, but I don't speak MTV. Though Brooke won't help her own defense, she may listen to her peers. Go and place a little sense in the space between her ears. I'm adulting. Not now. I want her whipped into shape. If there's a brain in that hair, tell it that I am the key. It's a plea or the chair. See, when I talk to her, I get neither plea nor plan. Nor alibi to quote from our defendant's tape. I want her whipped into shape to the jail. Ladies, just because we're at Boston Women's Correctional Facility does not mean we can't become the best that we can be.
from Musical of the Week, Legally Blonde. That was whipped into shape from the original Broadway cast recording. You're backstage with Mel and Mike, coming to you live on 89.0 Free FM or any of your favourite podcast streaming apps. And it's now that time of the week again. I am so excited. Settle in for Mel to give us all the goss on our Musical of the Week. Well, and I don't have as much for you this week as I normally would because I feel like I don't really need to tell you all about what Legally Blonde's about. You know, everyone knows. Do they? Yeah, surely they do. Give us the once-over light. I will give you the light once-over. Okay. Legally Blonde is a 2007 musical with music and lyrics by Lawrence O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin and book by Heather Huck, H-A-C-H, Huck. The story is based on the novel Legally Blonde by Amanda Brown and the 2001 film of the same name, telling the story of Al Woods, a sorority girl who enrolls at Harvard Law School to win back her ex-boyfriend, Warner. When she discovers how her knowledge of the law can help others, she successfully defends exercise queen Brooke Wyndham in a murder trial, and throughout the show, very few characters have faith in Al Woods, but she manages to surprise them when she defies expectations while staying true to herself, which is very much the theme of the story. So this is where I would usually give you the, the big, long-winded plot summary, but we all know, I think we all know the story. I think that's covered it off, actually, what you've just given us. Yeah, does it? Good. Yeah, she she rises to the occasion, wins yeah, the day. that's right. Yeah. I'm not going to give you all the deets, but uh, so the show opens with Al Woods preparing for her longtime boyfriend, Warner Huntington III, to propose to her. They go to dinner. She's blindsided with a breakup instead of a proposal. Therein lies the plot driver of the whole first half of the show. Okay. And you can sort of guess where it goes from there. You know, she starts to understand that actually she's not shit and Mm. happy endings are on their way. Of course, while she's at law school, she meets a guy who's actually nice. She realizes that her unique knowledge and skill set can help her achieve a law degree, winning her first case and getting over Warner are happy endings. In April of 2007, Legally Blonde opened on Broadway to mixed reviews and apparently disappointing sales. Jerry Mitchell directed and choreographed that production. The original cast starred Laura Balbundy as Elle, Christian Ball as Emmett, and Richard H. Blake as Warner. It received seven Tony Tony nominations and ten Drama Desk nominations. It did not win any of those. Uh, so yeah, that's why I mean it wasn't received super well. The West End production opened in January of 2010 at the Savoy Theatre and was nominated for five Laurence Olivier Awards, winning three of them, including the Best New Musical Award. The success of Legally Blonde really begins, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when the musical was recorded in 2007 and aired on MTV in October the same year. Following that, the reality television program aired, um, the next Al Woods aired in... 2008. Uh, the winner of that series was Bailey Hanks, who went on to take over the role of Al Woods from July 2008 until the pro- production closed later that year. Legally Blonde has had professional productions in South Korea, China, Malaysia, Japan, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Sweden, Finland, Austria, the Dominican Republic, Panama, New Zealand, and Germany. Uh, and in Paris, a French language production opened on the 17th of May in, at, in 2012 at Le Palace. The show was a commercial flop and mm. closed on June 10th after only three weeks because of the lack of spectators. Uh, and the most recent news is that a London revival will open at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre from the 13th of May to July in 22, and that will be directed by Lucy Moss and choreographed by Alan Kane. That promises to be a big night of fun. And since I've mentioned the mixed critical reception, I will finish up with what the reviewers thought. And there are some scathing thoughts in here. The mu- uh, as I mentioned, the musical received mixed reviews, but it was praised for being a fun and up 
beat production. Ben Brantley, reviewing the musical in the New York Times, wrote that the show was a high-energy, empty calories and expensive-looking hymn to the glories of girlishness. He praised Laura Bell Bundy, saying she sings and dances flawlessly and delivers silly lines as if she means them. Clive Barnes, reviewing for the New York Post, praised the book but criticised the amorphous, synthetic and maniacally empty-headed music, summarising the show as a pleasant, if noisy, night out. Wow. Yeah, right? It's not really a, it's a, it's not really a man's show, to no, be fair. that's what I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Elisa Gardner for USA Today wrote that the music was an ingratiating trifle and that the game cast ensures that the proceedings, however patronising, aren't irritating. It's a bit of a backhanded <laughs> compliment there. Um, the West End production fared a little better. Uh, it received mostly positive reviews. Benedict Nightingale in The Times wrote, Let's overlook some forgettable tunes and welcome dance that embraces everything from skipping with ropes to spoof river dance. Let's relish the support of both a fake Greek chorus dressed as tri- cheerleaders and of two cute, unnaturally un- obedient dogs. Let's agree that Legally Blonde is, well, fun. What else have we got? Paul Taylor for The Independent spoke on behalf of fans calling the show ridiculously enjoyable from start to finish, which I'm inclined to agree with. And Tim, (laughs) this is the best one, Uh, Tim Walker wrote in the Sunday Telegraph, however, it's a great big empty vessel of a show that makes a lot of noise and not much else and would have been better entitled Irredeemably Bland. I was aware that for the whole of the two hours and 25 minutes that it ran, I was sitting among a group of people with vacant smiles on faces that otherwise seemed entirely numbed. That was how I looked too. It is the expression that registers when what one is seeing doesn't entirely sync with what is going on in one's brain. Wow, that's <laughs> scathing. That's eloquent, but um, irredeemably bland. Yeah, I I just don't get that with the show. No, and I know that it also has a pretty strong fan base. People who like it really like it and see it for pretty much what it is. I mean, it's a fun show. You, if you're going to see Legally Blonde expecting some sort of out-of-body ethereal experience that... Yeah, that ain't going to happen. It's, no, it's just meant to be fun. I'm fascinated, though, that the the um, conceit of the whole thing is, is very American. You know, yeah. underrated young woman rises above the against all the odds and gets a place in Harvard, proves that she's smart. That's such an American story, and yet it didn't do so well there, but did really well at West End and, and got the awards. Well, and I think the problem with... Well, it's not a problem with Legally Blonde, but something that Legally Blonde faced that some of these newest film-to-stage adaptations don't face is that it was one of the first of its kind. Mm. You know, it was one of those the first film to stage adaptations and we were still deciding whether on as an audience whether or not we were okay with that you know are we okay with legally blonde the musical are we okay with spider-man the musical i guess also there is a little bit of um elitism in there thinking that legally blonde sounds like a vacuous kind of title vapid and and inconsequential, and because she's vapid and inc- or she seems vapid and inco- inco- and inconsequential, yeah, you sort of you judge the book on its cover. Yeah, I th- there's a good good expression, and I think there's a fair bit of that that goes on with it. And people go with preconceptions that this is going to be trite. It's going to be um, oh, and it is a bit trite. But if you're not going to see but, it for that, then what's the point? And if you, yeah, you've got to put it in context. And uh, I think the music is enjoyable. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think it's totally empty. Anyway, despite the brutal critique, Legally Blonde actually 
actually, to me, sounds like fun. Yeah. And it's like something that you could easily chuck on for a rainy Sunday afternoon at home. You know, if you've got the DVD, not be mad about it. Yeah. Or listen to the soundtrack. I didn't quite enjoy it. I think if I heard it was coming up on stage again somewhere, I'd go and see it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if nothing else, you want to go and see those girls, and sometimes it's boys as well, uh, skip their way through it. They're literally skipping ropes through an entire number. Yeah. Uh, It's very impressive. Yeah. Probably a lifetime ago, I might have even entertained. You might have been one of those. Yeah, but (laughs) I couldn't skip for two minutes now. Anyway, that's pretty much the end of our menu for the day. That is our end of it. Sums, sums it all up and brings us to the end of our adventures for this week. I have to say from the bottom of our hearts, a big thank you to Free FM for hosting us through the year. Thanks, Creative Waikato, for sponsoring us and thank you for coming back each week, week after week. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or accessmedia.nz. And a whole bunch of others uh, if you care to go trawling and, um, you know, just enjoy some of our back episodes. There's a whole lot there. Mm. Also head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ where I will be sharing today's episode plus Musical of the Week on our story. I've been Mel, he's been Mike, and you've been Backstage. Stay classy, theatre nerds. Today we're going to bring the curtain down with the show's finale from our Musical of the Week, Legally Blonde, appropriately enough, you know. Get to the finale, close the curtains, everybody leave the stage. <laughs> Stay safe out there, be kind, wear a mask, and we will see you. Though I dreamed of this day long ago, now my answer is thank you, but no. Look, I've barely begun, I'm hardly through. I was living in ignorant bliss till I learned I could be more than this. In a way, I owe it all to you I thought losing your love was a blow I could never withstand But look how far I have come without anyone holding my hand I had to find my way The day you broke my heart You handed me the chance thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. I believe this wise statement best applies to a woman, a blonde woman. Over the past three years, she taught me and showed us all that being true to yourself never goes out of style. Ladies and gentlemen, our valedictorian, Here's the part where she gives her big speech We're so proud, but Al's not one to preach So she said we could play, where are they now? Here we go! Enid practices family law Vivian's training for the Peace Corps Warner quits, said he makes more modeling anyhow Callahan ran for governor, but was defeated, of course And his wife hired Emmett to handle their messy I think I'll find my way
dog grooming. Here, take a couple cards. <gasps> Oops, sorry, back to L. I thank you one and all, the ones who thought I'd fall, who taught me how to fail, who helped me to prevail. me one second before we all go. Amit Forest, please make me the happiest woman I know.
She doesn't have an engagement outfit? She is totally freaking out? She's trapped in the Old Valley Mill? Oh, whoops, sorry. The Old Valley Mall? on china silk uh-huh but the thing is you can't use a half loop stitch on china silk it'll pucker and you didn't just get this in because i saw it in last may's vogue oh my god oh my god you guys i am not about to buy last year's dress at this year's price oh right through that sales girl's lies it may be perfect for a blonde but i'm not that blonde i may be in love but i'm not stupid lady i've got eyes oh my god Sorry, our mistake. Courtney, take your break. Just ignore her, she hasn't been well. Try this latest from the blonde. Go on, try it on. I take care of my best clientele. It's a gift for me to Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.